Let's bring in George Perks. He's joining us this morning, the Macro Strategist Bespoke Investment Group. George, good to have you back. Started off the show talking about how the focus, well, kind of a Captain Obvious statement, but it's on central bankers here today. Any read through from the Ricks Bank and the aggressive move, a full 1% rate hike in terms of what to expect from the Fed tomorrow, or are you still thinking we'll see 75 basis points? No, I think we're going to see 75 basis points. The market isn't pricing 100, and it's just really hard for the Fed to move if the market isn't pricing um, a, a move that big. They, they didn't foam the runway to the degree that they needed to to come across as being um, 100%, you know, going 100 basis points. And so the implication there is that they're they're going to go 75, which is still a monster hike. Um, I think the bigger uh, concern for the market or the bigger question for the market is whether they go 75 basis points the next time they hike. Okay. So, at, you know, you know the, the path forward through the rest of the year is, is where they have optionality. I, I don't think 100 basis points is ever really an option based on what we had heard from FOMC members. Um, if they did it, it would be a true surprise. And as a reminder, what the last time we saw them go much larger than had sort of been expected, they foamed the runway by a, a, yeah. a, a sort of placed piece in the Wall Street Journal. We haven't seen that. I'm sorry. I, I don't think they're going to do 100. Yeah, the last two. Uh, initially, the Wall Street Journal, and then it seemed like a couple Fed speakers sort of uh, paving the way in terms of the most recent hike. Now, George, in terms of the two-year, I also mentioned at the top of the show, it's uh, back to 4%. Should we expect, uh, to your point, adjustments in the dot plot? And what is the two-year suggesting? Yeah, so two-year at 4% is, is fair value for the two-year. I, I think given what we've heard from Fed speakers so far in the, in, you know, since Jackson Hole, we heard a drumbeat of people saying, look, we're going to go over 4% and don't expect hikes any, or don't expect cuts after we get to where you know, we want Fed funds to go. We, Fed funds are going to go above 4% and we're going to stay there for a while. So in that environment, you have to have the two-year above 4%. Um, I, I mean, it, it really, it's very unclear what they're going to do with the dot plot. There's a lot of very dramatic um, descriptive language being used by the FOMC in terms of how much pain they're going to apply to the economy. Um, and, you know, that those numbers, if you, if you really wanted to quantify what that looks like, I, I think they're going to involve pretty dramatic revisions to the to the um, summary of economic uh, projections. But it's not clear that they're actually going to put that pen to paper. So, you know, there's, there's an open question here. And this has been a broader problem with Fed communications this summer where they're talking very tough and they're and they're making this, these big grandiose claims. And the, the problem is that they then contradict themselves or they do something that isn't consistent with that. In the July FOMC, there was a good there was a good example of this where one of the lines in Powell's prepared remarks was that he, they were talking about eventually we're going to we're going to slow the pace of cuts. Well, everyone knows that. Of course, you're not going to hike 75 basis points indefinitely. But by bringing attention to that, you're getting in the way of your hawk and you're and you're confusing the market and, and delivering a different message from the one that you're explicitly trying to do. So, you know, there have been a series of these missteps in communication over the summer. And, you know, hopefully with the dot plot, they do something that's more consistent with what they're trying to come across as, as opposed to saying one big, you know, aggressive thing and then doing something that's much more dovish, like, like for instance, not pricing terminal Fed funds above 4% and holding it there for quite some time. George, you chalk up some of the missteps in communication in terms of the dynamic situation that they've been forced to deal with. I kind of equate it to, in many ways, like teaching my son to drive. I mean, at first he had a hard time understanding how you don't put your left foot on the brake pedal while you put your right foot on the gas pedal at the same time. I mean, it, a little confusing, but that's the situation we're dealing with here in terms of what lawmakers versus the feds uh, are providing. Yeah, I mean, your, your heart kind of goes out to the FOMC and having to switch their their stance so fast over the past two years from, you know, going from moderately dovish at the end of 2019 
to the most dovish in history to needing to quickly get back behind um, into a much more hawkish position. It's been a, a very fast series of changes, and they're well off the zero lower bound now. So the, the rules that they were operating with um, in the post-crisis period when, when the structural rate of inflation was much lower and, and the economy was much looser with much more spare capacity, you know, that they're having to adjust communications away from that environment to this much different one we're in now. Um, so, you know, you, you want to give them some room room to, to make mistakes there, but some of the communications have just been very poor analytically. I mean, another example is this focus on the University of Michigan Consumer Expectations Survey, where they're looking at, at samples, a sample size of a couple hundred people to set monetary policy and flagging it explicitly. I mean, it's just they could be doing a lot better in terms of um, taking a course and sticking to it and, and communicating that clearly and just talking a little bit less. Um, you know, the Fed speaks on average more than once per calendar day. Um, I've been tracking everything they said publicly for over five years now, and the number is more than once per day. I mean, they just don't need to be talking this much. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, some of the inflationary pressures we're seeing globally. I mean, Europe, uh, not necessarily... Um, uh, the discussion or the focal point this morning, but Japan's inflation is, and that came in a little bit higher than expected. What does all this mean for the U.S. dollar? Are we going to start to see uh, Japan kind of turn that corner as the ECB did uh, months ago? I think Japan's got a lot more room to play with. I mean, Japanese CPI is only up 3% year over year, and it's not at a historically high level. Um, you know, it, it's, it's at the upper end of its range it's been in since the early 1990s, but it's not at some extreme level like we're seeing in a lot of other countries. There's a bunch of reasons for that. Core CPI, you know, uh, X fresh food and energy um, was up 2.4% annualized in the month um, after seasonal adjustment. Um, you know, that's not some dramatic, super high price pressure. And it's also coming in an economy where central, the central bank has been explicitly trying to run the economy hot for over a decade now and just completely failing at that. So, you know, there is a lot more room for the BOJ to remain dovish, to continue with yield curve control, to not intervene, to strengthen the yen. Eventually, things will reach a point where that might be necessary, but we're just not there yet um, in the specific case of Japan. Europe is in just such deep trouble. And the ECB's response, and you know, the Bank of England as well, um, you know, the Scandinavian economy is a little bit more nuanced, but certainly for the Bank of England and the ECB, they are trying to hike their way out of a supply shock. It's not gonna work. Um, it, it's not gonna help. It's not gonna make anything better. Um, and you know, that's sort of where we're at with Europe. So in that context, it's no wonder that um, Euro is below parity. I mean, I, I think it's very easy to see a world where Europe's winter is slightly colder than expected and you get sterling at parity as well. Um, you know, the US dollar is going to benefit from high natural gas prices because we, have, we are the low cost producer for pretty much the world. Um, we have an export logjam in terms of LNG. We can't get enough out to, to close that ARB versus world markets. But as more LNG comes online, um, you know, and as current demand remains high for U.S. LNG, that's only going to do good things to U.S. balance of payments on top of the fact that we're net um, trade balanced from a crude and products perspective. So, you know, the, the dollar is going to keep strengthening against the euro and the, and the and pound sterling as long as energy prices are anywhere near where they are right now. Um, and those central banks are in, are in deep trouble in terms of what they're trying to do to adapt to a massive supply shock that, that tamping down demand will not help. George, lastly, you probably already know where I'm headed, but uh, with the Fed meeting tomorrow, the announcement, and then ultimately question and answer session, uh, uh, if you had a chair at the table, uh, what would be your question for Fed Chair Jerome Powell? Would it be along the lines of why are they being so transparent at this point, or, or what would you ask them? I think it's going to depend on what the dot plot says and, and more importantly, what the summary of economic projection says. I, I, that That is going to inform 
how he, what, what I'll sort of think of the approach in the press conference. So, you know, I, I can't offer a specific question, but for instance, if we have a bunch of the FOMC saying repeatedly, you know, we need to get rates above 4% and keep them there, and the dot plot doesn't show rates held um, throughout the length of 2023, um, what, what's the goal? What, what are they trying to get to? Um, you know, it, it, having some explanation around, around how those, um, you know, public statements elsewhere and, and tough talk elsewhere is translating into the, the numbers, that's, that I think is going to be very interesting. But, you know, as far as a specific question, oh, well, why does this show this? Then, you know, I, I, I can't because I, who knows what the SEP is actually going to show. I, you know, I, I think it'll show something along the lines of extreme hawkishness that they've talked about, but it might not. So it'll, it'll depend on that. It's definitely been the trend. Appreciate you joining us here and uh, sharing your thoughts here in terms of Fed expectations this Tuesday morning. George Perks, the macro strategist, bespoke investment group. Always a pleasure.